Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be reading chapter 8 of As It Is Translated Correctly. We'll be on pages 94 through 105. The title of the chapter is Apocrypha and the Canon of Scripture. We'll get into the reading right after the dedication. O God, the Eternal Father, we come before Thee in the name of Thy Son, Jesus Christ. We thank Thee, Father, for all that Thou has given unto us, all of the blessings that we have, all of the knowledge that we have to move forward in understanding these these things that we'll be covering in this topic today. We ask Thee, Father, to forgive us of our sins and our transgressions, that we might have Thy Spirit to be with us more fully that we might be able to have a good discussion on this topic in this program that, that I'm recording today and that that the listener will be able to learn some things that maybe they didn't know and spark interest in a topic that maybe they might not have had an interest in before. Father, we thank Thee for the technology to do these programs to share them throughout the world we're grateful for the time that we live in that we might gain knowledge and perhaps wisdom that as we turn to thee we can become tools in thine hand to carry forth thy work bring forth Zion upon the earth. We love thee, Father, and we ask for thy blessings to be upon us. And we ask for these things in the name of Messiah. Amen. Apocrypha and the Canonist Scripture, Chapter 8 of As It Is Translated Correctly, pages uh, 94 through 105. Question. Is not the scripture, is not the canon of scripture full? Answer by Joseph Smith. If it is, there is a great defect in the book, or else it would have said so. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 3, page 30. The collection of books, letters, and histories compiled within the Bible is called scripture. All of those writings that have been selected and accepted as valid are called the canon of scripture. But different churches accept different books as scripture, resulting in a varying canon of the scriptures. Many of the letters and gospels of the New Testament were read in churches and congregations for nearly two centuries before they were considered as canon scripture. In fact, many other works were also read and accepted as important scriptural material. The term closed canon of scripture is a more recent Catholic and Protestant determination, as they considered that the canon is full and complete with nothing more to be added. Joseph Smith explained the difference between Mormons and those of other denominations. He said, I started, I stated 
that the most prominent difference in sentiment between the Latter-day Saints and sectarians was that the latter were all circumscribed by some particular creed which deprived its members of the privilege of believing anything not contained therein, whereas the Latter-day Saints have no creed, but are ready to believe all true principles that exist as they are made manifest from time to time. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 5, page 215. It is necessary to emphasize that no church through its councils made scripture, nor can they. A church may accept or reject something that might be considered scripture, but it has no special corner on the truth. No church can, by its own decrees, give validation to God's word. It will stand by itself and usually does. Truth is not confined to a church, a group, or an individual. Something may be accepted as a creed, article of faith, or a canon of scripture that has nothing to do with its validity. That has nothing to do with its validity. Scriptural truth was not issued from a church but is inherent in the writings of the prophets themselves. As a child identifies its mother, so a church should identify certain books and writings as scripture. As previously mentioned, all manuscripts collected throughout the centuries have not been included within the Bible. Those which were rejected were called apocryphal, which in the Greek means hidden, or lost, and it also refers to that which is doubtful or unknown. Eventually, the word Apocrypha was applied to 15 books written between 200 BC and 100 AD. There has been disagreement about the actual contents of the Old Testament canon. Protestants have confined the Old Testament books the Old Testament to books contained in the Hebrew Bible. But the Roman Catholics have also included books known as the Apocrypha, which are part of the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, but are absent in the Hebrew canon. Although many early Christians made a distinction between the Old Testament and the Apocrypha, this distinction was largely forgotten in the medieval church. And in 1546, the Romans the Roman Catholic Council of Trent officially decreed that the apocryphal writing should be regarded as part of the Old Testament canon. The leaders of the Protestant Reformation did not regard the apocrypha as scripture, and they varied in their treatment of it. The Church of England included, included portions of it in the lectionary in the Book of Common Prayer, although refusing to regard it as authoritative in doctrinal matters. The majority of Protestants, however, including the Methodists, have paid little attention to the Apocrypha 
and it is usually not contained in the editions of the Bible which they use. It is interesting to note, however, that excerpts from the Apocrypha are included in the official burial services of British Methodism. And that comes from the Encyclopedia of World Methodism, Volume 1, page 264. The Apocrypha consists of the following books. Number one, the first book of Esdras, also known as Third Esdras. Number two, the second book of Esdras, also known as Fourth Esdras. Number three, Tobit. Number four, Judith. Number five, the additions of the the additions to the book of Esther. Number six, the wisdom of Solomon. Number seven, Ecclesiasticus, or the wisdom of Jesus, the son of Sirach, Syrah, I don't know. Number eight, Baruch. Number nine, the letter of Jeremiah. This letter is sometimes incorporated into the last chapter of Baruch. When this is done, the number of the books is 14 instead of 15. Number 10, the prayer of Azariah and the song of the three young men. Number 11, Susanna. Number 12, Bell and the dragon. Number 13, the prayer of Manasseh. Number 14, the first book of the Maccabees. And number 15, the second book of the Maccabees. Now on page 97 at 25%. The books included in the Apocrypha represent several types of literature. Number one, historical, Esdras. uh, First Esdras and the first and second book of Maccabees. Number two, the legendary, which are Tobit, Judith, and additions to Esther, and additions to Daniel, the prayer of Azariah, and the song of the three young men, are the three men, no, it's the three young men, Susanna and Bell and the the dragon. And then we have the prophetic, which consists of Baruch and the letter, letter of Jeremiah, the prayer of Manasseh and second Esdras. Number four, ethical, which is Ecclesiasticus and the wisdom of Solomon. The Apocrypha has posed a serious problem for both Catholics and Protestants. It took the Catholics 1,500 years to accept these books as scripture, but if they were decreed scripture in 1546, What were they before that? How did they suddenly become aware that these were, um, that they were valid scripture? Did they get a revelation or did they just take a long, take long, that long to determine what was and was not scripture? The Protestants became as divided over the Apocrypha as they were among themselves and it was also a period of many years that they gradually came to any conclusion of, uh, as to their status. Most religionists today take a middle-of-the-road of attitude regarding the apocryphal books. They sometimes comprise their st- 
stand, compromise their stand, and use them to substantiate or clarify scriptures. Um, so I enjoy going to different churches, and there's a, ch- a church that I Excuse me, I attend it sometimes, but I don't, I haven't been there for a while, but um, Price Chapel in in Price, Utah, I really like their pastor, and um, the people are nice, but they're Trinitarian, and they drive me a little bit nuts, but, but, I mean, it's a, it's a fun church to go to, and the kids love it there. But um, that pastor was talking about the book of Enoch and using the book of Enoch in his sermon. But he kept on saying, no, this isn't scripture. This isn't scripture. I'm just trying to use this as an example of what they believed in. And, and they did mention it in the book of Jude. And, and I was like rolling my eyes like, oh, my gosh, because they have to keep up. You know, we can't we can't accept everything as scripture. Uh, I have to toe the party line on this, you know, kind of thing. And um, I don't know. I don't like that. I don't like how they do that. It just, like, why can't they just say, look, I find this interesting. I'm reading this this book that considers, uh, that some people consider inspired. And um, maybe these principles are true. Maybe they're not. I believe that they are, you know, but if you want to delve into this more, you can ask God about it and leave it at that. Like teach people to get revelation for themselves and stop trying to tell people what is scripture and what is not scripture. Like these people don't proclaim to be prophets. They're just pastors of churches. And I don't know why they think they're so important, you know, like... I don't know, God, I, I don't know, it just drives me nuts, like, but they've got to lead their flock, you know, whatever, anyway, it just drives me nuts. The Church of England gives to the Apocrypha a semi-canonical status. They may re- be, be read in public worship, for example, the life and instructions of manners, but not in order to establish any doctrine. This position assumes that the Apocrypha at any time, at times, may add to or conflict with the established teachings of the canonical scriptures. If this is true, then the Apocrypha should not be read in public worship, for what is read regularly in public worship tends to be authoritative for the congregation, and we're on page 98 at 34%. To allow the Apocrypha to be read in public worship is a strange way to show their inferior rank. And that comes from How We Got the Bible by Neil Lightfoot, page 93. Scholars inform us that most of the Old Testament scriptures were destroyed by the Assyrians nearly 600 years before Christ. In the Apocrypha, we are informed that Esdras was inspired to rewrite all that he could so that the Jews would again have those sacred writings. But how are the people of this generation to know if Esdras was a prophet 
or if he really was inspired to restore the scriptures. How interesting to note that the learned theologians of our day consider Esdras' own books apocryphal and doubtful, yet they accept the scriptures may only be copies that originally came from the hands of Esdras. Who knows what other strange handlings or mishandlings may have occurred over thousands of years. So that's interesting. So the first five books of the Bible called the Torah or um, in Greek, the Pentateuch, um, like they don't think Moses wrote those books because it says, and you know, and, and Moses was taken by the hand of the Lord and, and there's some other stuff in there that like leads scholars to believe excuse me, that maybe Moses didn't write those books and then they flip out about Isaiah and there had to have been two or three different Isaiahs and whatnot. So um I was just thinking if Esdras was inspired to rewrite the scriptures because they were taken away in uh, Assyrian captivity, um Maybe that would explain why there are, are um, parts of the scriptures that are written in third hand from the people who originally wrote them. I don't know. It's just a it's just a thought. Um, I do know that before the Babylonian captivity uh, captivity of Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar, they actually used a different writing style, which was considered um, Paleo Hebrew. Um, after they were in captivity, um, their language was uh, ch- their written language was changed to Babylonian Hebrew or the block Hebrew, um, and I believe also that the scriptures were contaminated at that time. But I believe that the scriptures were contaminated during the time of Josiah as well. Um, in the book of Lehi, it talks about that how the scriptures were contaminated. Um, and that's one of the main reasons why the school of the prophets, which consisted of Jeremiah and Lehi and others, um, why God rose up these prophets to rebel against the um, what was going on in in um, Judea um, among the Jews with the changing of Scripture, because they wouldn't teach the Scripture. Um, but the school of the prophets had the scriptures and considered them very sacred and did not change them. And then when Josiah came out with his reforms, they realized that the scripture that Josiah was using had been um, manufactured in large part. Many things were added to it. Things were taken away from it. And... Uh, Josiah himself was killed in his 20s, early 20s, in a battle with King Nebo, um, the king of Egypt. Um, a spear went between, according to the book of Lehi, uh, a spear was thrown by the king of Egypt, and the spear went, the javelin or whatever it was, went in between the... Um, the head plate and the shoulder plate of the armor um, right into Josiah's um, 
chest from his uh, where his collarbone is and went down into his chest and um, he died he bled out later that day uh, because of that uh, injury that he received but then um, as the high priests and the the leadership of Jerusalem continued to push these false scriptures or these altered scriptures God allowed them to be destroyed by the Babylonians and taken into captivity. It wasn't just about the um, about what they said it was, which they said it was because they hadn't let the land go fallow for 70 years or whatever it was. Um, I can't remember. I think it was like 400 and so, It doesn't matter. Anyway, but the whole reason why... Um, why they were allowed to go into captivity and why Jerusalem was allowed to be destroyed is because of this great wickedness of changing the scripture. So, anyway. <coughs> Excuse me. I um, I had the opportunity to read it. Um, but the, the book of Lehi that Joseph Smith had was... Um, abridged by um, Mormon um, the record that that they had which was abridged was much larger and that's when I was able to read and there's a lot of uh, cultural interesting things in there that I don't think people of today would accept so I wonder Joseph Smith was allowed to read that but then it was stolen and taken away from um, from the people, and God chose not to restore it. And I believe that partly that the reason for that was that Joseph Smith needed to know some things that maybe that maybe other people didn't need to know. And I wonder if it's the same thing with me. I haven't been told, but um, I, I just wonder. Um, was I allowed to read it because there was things in it that I needed to know that maybe we're not, like, people are not ready for all of the information in it? I don't know. It's just interesting. Um, I just, I think about it and I wonder why. Excuse me. I wonder why God allowed me to read it. Um, I don't know. Anyway, um... Let's see here. Okay. Many inspirational writings were used by the early Christians, and many important doctrines were taught in those writings. Yet, the sectarian ministers of today decry both those writings and their message. And it drives me nuts because they are not prophets. They don't even proclaim to be prophets. And, like, they flip out about, like... um, you know, oh, you can't trust anything. You can't trust your heart. The wick, the heart is wicked above all things. And, like, you can't trust the Holy Spirit because you can't trust your own heart. And, like, they go on and on. And um, they, pr- they pretend to be authoritative, but they have no call from God other than the call that they perceive that God has given them. You know, but then they they don't um, accept 
they don't accept revelation as, as a thing. And they don't proclaim to be prophets, but they act like they are. And they're not. They're false prophets, if they're anything. Anyway, for instance, the book of Baruch, it, it says that God hears the prayers of the dead. And that's Baruch chapter 3, verse 4. The Protestants think this is a contradiction of the scripture. But, but according to Paul, he said, Jesus preached to the dead who were disobedient in the days of Noah. This statement in Baruch is much more in agreement with the scriptures than modern Protestant interpretations. Even the Catholics believe in a similar place to paradise called purgatory where the dead are visited. The prophet Joseph Smith read the Apocrypha and he inquired of the Lord concerning its authenticity and value. And the Lord, the Lord's answer was this, and we're on page 99 at 43%. Here's what the Lord said about that. Verily thus saith the Lord unto you concerning the Apocrypha, there are many things contained therein that are true, and it is mostly translated correctly. There are many things contained therein that are not true, which are interpolations by the hands of men. Verily I say unto you that it is not needful that the Apocrypha should be translated. Therefore, whoso readeth it, let him understand, for the Spirit manifests the truth. And who is enlightened by the Spirit shall obtain benefit therefrom. And whoso receiveth not by the Spirit cannot be benefited. Therefore, it is not needful that it should be translated. And that's Doctrine and Covenants, section 91, verses 1 through 6. In this revelation, the Lord makes the canon of Scripture a feature that can, be op- that can open the mind as truth and the spirit of truth motivates it. Man is free to choose and to grow by adding precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little, as Isaiah chapter 28 verse 10 states. Brigham Young perhaps said it best when speaking of the truth, quote, all truth is worthy and worth possessing. Be willing to receive the truth. Let it come from whom it, it may. No difference, not a particle. Journal of Discourses, Volume 19, Verse 39, and also that was stated in Journal of Discourses, Volume 14, Page 136. All truth is for the salvation and the children of men, for their benefit and learning, for their furtherance in the principles of divine knowledge, and divine knowledge is, is any manner of fact truth and all truth pertains to divinity journal of discourses volume 7 page 284 from the apocrypha come many inspirational themes that should have equal status with many portions of the bible in ecclesiasticus alone consider the truth contained in the following verses and we're on page 151%. At that thou desire wisdom, keep the commandments, 
and the Lord shall give her unto thee. For the fear of the Lord is wisdom, and instruction and faith and meekness are his delight. Look at the generations of old and see, did any did ever any trust in the Lord and was uh, and was confounded? Or did any abide in his fear and was forsake was forsaken? Or whom did he ever despise that called upon him? The fear of the Lord is honor and glory and gladness and a crown of rejoicing. The fear of the Lord maketh a merry heart, giveth joy and gladness and a long life. Whosoever feareth the Lord, it shall go well with him at the last, and he shall find favor in the day of his death. Many are in high places and of renown, but mysteries are revealed unto the meek, for the power of the Lord is great, and he, he is honored of the lowly. Reject not the supplication of the afflicted, neither turn away thy face from the poor from a poor man. Be not at variance with a rich man, lest he overweigh thee, for gold hath destroyed many and per perverted the hearts of kings. Blessed is he whose conscience hath not condemned him, and who is not fallen from his hope in the Lord. My son, if thou come to serve the Lord, prepare thy soul for temptation. Set thy heart right, all right, and con constantly endure. And make not haste in time of trouble. Cleave unto him, and depart not away, that thou mayest be increased at the last end. And we're on page 101 at 59%. Whosoever is brought upon thee, take cheerfully, and be patient when thou art ch changed to a low estate. For gold is tried in the fire, an acceptable man in the furnace of adversity. It does not take much discernment to see more inspiration from this book than from the book of the Song of Solomon in the Bible. There are some apocryphal books written during and shortly after the Old or the New Testament times. Some of them refer to the life of Christ, including a portion of his childhood life and quote words he said, there are gospels, acts, epistles, and apocalypses similar to those books in the New Testament. Some of them have been written under the assumed names of the apostles. Others were written later during the second century. Some of the apocryphal books were writings of the apostolic fathers from 80 AD to 180 AD, and have not been considered worthy of being classified as scripture, although speculative, many translators have used these texts to substantiate and clarify the scriptures. Most of these manuscripts are letters of edification, encouragement, and philosophical wisdom. 
Sometimes they have been included with the apocryphal books. Many of these books have been called the lost books of the Bible. However, this is a misleading title since they were never part of the Bible. It is only on the guesswork of most scholars as to the portions that are or could be classified as scriptural material. When the Jews in Egypt translated the Old Testament in Greek, the Septuagint, they added the books of the Apocrypha. Finally, about 400 AD, the Pope of Rome made a decision as to the scriptural status of manuscripts, and he established a Council of Carthage to determine which books were to be considered their canon of scripture. We're on page 102 at 69%. Many manuscripts were discarded. We don't know if they were or were not scriptural because they didn't keep them. We do know that they were, that there were many texts that were lost to future generations because of the decisions of this contending council of the Catholic Church. Then later, April 8, 1546, the Catholic Church again met in council to discuss the status of the Old Old Testament Apocrypha. The fourth session of the Council of Trent pronounced the Apocrypha as acceptable scripture for the church. However, this council discarded the first and second books of Esdras and the prayer of Manasseh is unqualified to be canonical canonical scripture. Their Bibles became known as the Douare version. Some Protestant Bibles, including Luther's, kept the Apocrypha but added them at, at the end of the Old Testament. The King James Bible also included them in 1611, or the first King James Bible, but later they were dropped, and they were dropped, I think, in the 1800s. But who really has the authority to decide what is Scripture and what is not? Is it decided by human wisdom or by revelation from God? And they don't claim to be prophets, so they don't. This isn't something that they do by revelation. They're just like, oh, we're going to trust in man, which the scriptures say not to do, uh, to figure out what we're going to accept as scripture. Excuse me, as scripture or not accept as scripture. Anyway, the first time that the Protestants made a separation of these apocryphal books from those of the Old Testament was at the decision of Miley's Coverdell, um, well, that's interesting. And that was between 1485 and 1568. So that was a, that was a, what, 70, 80, 90 years? Well, not 90. Let's see, 85, so that'd be 15. 78, 15. 83 years? Wow. He never claimed any revelation. So this is a person who lived until 83, 83 years old. So he never claimed any revelation for making that separation. 
yet millions have followed his judgment and selection. So the Vatican Bible contains a group of 15 Old Testament books which are not in most Protestant Bibles, thus the Catholics have many more books of Scripture than the Protestants because Coverdale rejected them. Are the Catholics right in accepting them as Scripture or are the Protestants right for rejecting them? In the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, it states, and we're on page 103. All right, so here's a quote. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of this prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Revelation chapter 22, verse 18 and 19. From the interpretation, most Protestants and Catholics read this into this verse. Someone um, basically from the way most Catholics and Protestants read this verse, someone is under a curse. Either the Catholics are cursed for adding to the word of God, or else the Protestants are cursed for taking them out of the Bible. <coughs> for taking them out of the Bible. <sighs> for the first 400 years, a... Um, 400 AD, the early church fathers uh, met Melitus and Nazarene contended that the book of Esther was not qualified as scripture and should not be included in the Bible. Also, the renowned scholar Origen had reason to believe that the book of Hebrews should not be called scripture. He also said that 2 Peter and 2 John should not have been placed among the scriptures. Both both St. Cyprian and Nazianzen left the book of Revelation out of the canon of Scripture because of its speculative origin and content. Um, Eusebius also doubted its veracity. Hence, we may recognize many Christian fathers and scholars who have doubted the value of some of the books in the Bible. Excuse me. One of the more daring feats of latter translators was to leave a couple of manuscripts out of their final selection. In the Sinaitic Codex, <clears throat> excuse me, were included the manuscripts called the Epistles of Barnabas and another as the Shepherd of Hermes, Dr. Titchendorf, who discovered the Sinai manuscript declared that these two selections 
were regarded as part of the New Testament scriptures before the middle of the 4th century. These two books once held a sacred part of Christian religious community and were on page 104 at 60, no, 87%. But today's Christians do not accept them. The Catholic Church was the first to discontinue their use, but did they have the authority to disregard them? Or who had the authority to add them to the rest of the scriptures in the first centuries of Christianity. There was time when the lists of the Old and New Testament books were written down and and then centuries later they were found. An example of one of these lists is the Muratian, probably uh, butchering that, Muratian, fragment. It was named the L.A. Mora Tori, who first discovered the list and published it during the 18th century. The book of Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, and the book of John were not included in the list, but it did mention the book of the Shepherd of Hermes, and was said that it was read in congregations during the first and second centuries. Now then, are both Catholics and Protestants under the curse of the plagues that are written in the book of the Revelations because they have taken away these two early books, Barnabas and Hermes? It is interesting to note that a similar passage of scripture to be found in Revelations is also recorded in Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Old Testament. And now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it. And he was talking about the Torah. That was the Lord saying, You are not to add to the Torah or take away from it. Let's see here. That ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And that's endeavoring, or Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through uh, 1 and 2. It is apparent, therefore, that these instructions not to add to nor take away from refer to a particular set of commandments or a certain book of the Bible, not to the whole Bible as a complete canon of Scripture. And we're on page 105 at 96%. The Greek manuscripts of the Old Testament were never established by the Lord as a fixed final and conclusive set of books. In fact, no set of manuscripts ever had been. This collection of manuscripts was gradually collected and there and there never was a revelation from the Lord saying it was a complete collection or a finished Bible. The canon of scripture should always be open for more of the word of God. Every person should believe all that God has revealed, all that he does now reveal, 
and furthermore believe that he will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Ninth article of faith. So that's the end of that chapter. When we come back, the next chapter will be uh, Biblical Errors. It's chapter 9 and it starts on page 106. So, uh, that wasn't too bad of a Excuse me, reading. It only took 44 minutes. And it is 4.36 in the morning. And, um, you know, it takes me a couple of days um, to recover from driving a truck. And then this is my my fourth day off, my last day off, and I go back to work tomorrow, unfortunately. But um, um, but I, you know, I finally recover, and then I uh, try to to put some information, uh, you know, some of these these podcasts out there. So you know, I do one once or twice. Excuse me, once or twice every eight days. Um, and that's just kind of the way it is right now. Um, I have been wanting to. Uh, I always think when I'm when I'm done with my day, so I I have a time clock I have to finish within 14 hours, and they usually use up all my time. I get as far as I can get, and then. Um, at, at the end of my 14 hours, I'm thinking, I want to read something and do a little podcast. Maybe maybe one of the topics in 95 Thesis or something like that. Um, but then I am just a zombie and I'm like, okay, I have to try to eat. And my favorite meal of the day is um, when I'm in the truck. Um, I always have a salad. And I always have rice pudding. And I love my salads and my rice puddings. And my glass of milk. I always take... Um, take um, prepared salads from Walmart. And two half gallons of milk. Because they fit in my fridge with all the other food that I take. And then um, I have like four salads, four hoagies, usually by rice pudding. Excuse me, one for each day, uh, for four days. And then, um, like, a couple of TV dinners and a whole bunch of water and a whole bunch of drinks. Sodas and, and energy drinks. So, anyway, but I always look forward to eating my salad at the end of the day. And to um, eating my rice pudding. Because I love rice pudding. It's like my favorite. Um, But there were times last week where I was like, okay, I finally laid in bed. I've got my salad next to me. I take the lid off. Um, I take all of the the fork and the salad dressing out and all of the, the toppings out and everything. And I put it all in there and I mix it all up and I'm like getting ready to eat it. And I'm so tired that I can barely lift my arm up to put my fork into the salad so that I can um, put it in my mouth. Like completely exhausted. So, um, 
you know, and like I really liked my job, but sometimes it just wears me out. Like, um, excuse me. So I'm pretty sure most of you know what I do, but I know there's always new listeners. Um, I'm a truck driver, and I have been a truck driver. Um, I've had my class A CDL since 95. I started driving, um, uh, 1945 deuce and a half on a potato farm in 1994. And then, um, I went on my mission in 97 and I was only out for, um, let's see, I think it was May to March, May of 97 to March of 98, and they sent me home on medical leave, and I was just really sick, I got really sick, well, it was pretty bad, um, and, uh, I didn't really have anywhere to go, um, no family to go to, so, uh, they had to release me, and as soon as I got better, in 98, I started um, driving a semi-truck because I was 21 years old and um, and I had a CDL and I drove locally before my mission. So, um, you know, so I wasn't able to finish my mission. And that made me, I felt very bad about that for many years. And that's why, one of the reasons why I studied so much because I felt bad I wasn't able to finish my mission. So I wanted to, like, become the best missionary and the best servant that I could be. Um, But I also didn't have anywhere to live, and I became an over-the-road truck driver. So I just became a missionary uh, to North America, to the truck drivers and to the people I would meet. In fact, I was set apart as a stake missionary, and in the blessing, my area was North America. So... um, But I was really sick. But anyway, I don't know why I went into that topic, that little tangent. Um, But I am a truck driver. I've been a truck driver since the 90s. And and I really like my job that I do today. I, I drive like maybe 90... Usually between 85 to, to maybe 100 miles. Between... Um, Wellington, Utah, and uh, Roosevelt, Utah, and I go over Indian Pass, and I do that uh, two times going north and two times going south, and sometimes one more time going north or one more time going south. It just depends on what I'm able to do, what I'm able to do, but I haul crude oil, and it takes like an hour to get unloaded and it takes like an hour to get loaded so I'm actually not driving the whole time which I like uh, because uh, 28 almost 29 years of driving my body's pretty beaten up I've got six bulge discs a tear in one of my discs where my spinal um, fluid is leaking out which causes a lot of pain on my nerve packs and two of my discs are as bad as they can get before they're ruptured. Uh, so I'm in a lot of pain, and I got that because I'm a truck driver. <laughs> but I love driving truck, and 
um, when I met Jesus in 2003, when we sat down and talked with each other, he specifically told me to stay as a truck driver until he called me out of this work. So it's it's more it, like it's something I always wanted to do when I was younger. I remember we were on our way on I-15 north of Pocatello, Idaho, up to Spencer, Idaho, which where my which is where my grandparents lived and where I lived for many years of my childhood. And I remember that there was this couple in this Atlas van line semi-truck and we were passing and we were doing the, the horn honking thing in the back seat and I think I was like six. And we had the windows down because we didn't have air conditioning. And, you know, my mom's driving because I was raised by um, a single, single parent a lot. Uh, although I was raised by my grandparents a lot, too. Anyway, but we were um, doing the little horn honking thing that kids do. And um, this guy in his Atlas van lines truck and trailer, um, he was, he honked at us. And I think his girlfriend or wife, like, was standing up next to him, um, next to the driver's seat, and this old um, conventional truck. And she was, like, waving at us, kids. And it was me and my sister and uh, my two baby sisters. Um, I'm the oldest. And from that time, I was like, I want to be a truck driver. I want to drive a truck, you know. And um, I wanted to do a couple of different things throughout the years, but pretty much it was to be a truck driver. And I love this job. I don't love the fact that my body has taken a beating over all these years um, in the oil field and all of the different things that I've done. Um I wish I wouldn't have driven some of the older trucks that I've driven uh, because they've beat the crap out of me. Um, but I don't know. I just, I love driving a truck. I've always loved driving a truck. And um, Jesus told me that, that there will be a time when he takes me out of this line of work, but that I am commanded, excuse me, to stay in it until he takes me out of it. And I don't know how he's going to take me out of it. Is he going to take me out of it because everything falls apart and there's no more trucking? Or is he going to take me out of it because my health will no longer allow me to drive a truck? Or is he going to call me to do something else eventually? And I don't know what it is. He hasn't given me any details in this. He just specifically, and I remember he specifically said that I needed to stay in this industry. So, And... Um, it's been good, though, because in doing this, I have had the opportunity every single week to have uh, things to listen to um, where I learn things. And, um, you know, I listen to comedy things, too. Uh, dry bar comedy is my favorite because there's no profanity. Uh, there's no... Uh, it's good comedy, you know. But I I just enjoy listening. Excuse me, <sighs> listening to all these different um, people and the lectures and stuff. That's why I like um, uh, 
like John Hamer, even though I I really don't think he has an ounce of faith in him because he's, you know, such a sectarian. Or a, he should be a professor of theology because he's got a lot of knowledge but not a lot of faith. At least that's what, the way it seems to me. But I really love his lectures. Uh, Center Point, really good. Enjoy them a lot. Um, my One of my new favorite uh, things to listen to is Ward Radio, which I think is hilarious. I love listening uh, to Kwaku L and his crazy conspiracy theories and Cardinalis and all of those guys. I, I just love listening to them. I think it's hilarious. And I think that they are ignorant as hell on some things. But you know what? They're just like full bore like missionary types and uh, they don't even know what they don't even know (laughs) but I enjoy them they're like kind of a comedian type and they're like a little bit um, sacrilegious at times but I don't care like I just think that they're hilarious Um, I listen to uh, Mormon stories which uh, John DeLynn drives me insane um, but I I used to listen to them when they were just podcasts before YouTube. Um, I've listened to them since like the early 2000s on on podcasts. Um, and I enjoy some of the content. Um, and I listen to it just to see what they're trying to talk about and cover. And I think most of it's trash these days, but I still listen to it. Although I do... Um, I, I stomach as much as I can, and then I go on to the next podcast. I do like Radio Free Mormon. I think he's great. Um, I cannot stand Bill Real. Um, sometimes I want to just punch that pompous jerk right in the nose. Um, but I still listen to them. So um, I listen to a lot of stuff from the Daily Wire as well. I love Andrew Clavin. Uh, ben Shapiro makes me laugh. Um, I like Andrew um, Clavin, Michael Knowles, um, Matt Walsh. I love Matt Walsh. I think he's hilarious. Um, and those some those are some of the things I listen to. Um, I listen to news reports. I listen to weather reports. You know, and I really enjoy listening to all the things that I listen to as I'm driving a truck. And I listen to podcasts and YouTube videos when I'm at home, too. Excuse me. Um, We were just listening to uh, a lecture on the amendments to the Constitution because my daughter is in, uh, like, some Constitution club, and she's trying to to remember or memorize the, um, the articles of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and all of that. So, you know, it's just something, like, I enjoy even when I'm at home. But I like it, I think, a lot more when I'm driving because I focus on the road and I just listen to whatever it is I'm listening to. And there'll be times when I, I pause and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And there'll be times when I'm like, oh, I really want to fast, or, like, just go to the next one and the spirit will tell me no just wait and I'll just sit there and I'll be like oh what does he want me to to hear what do I need to hear with this stupid podcast that I don't want to listen to and something will come up and I'll be like oh 
I needed to know that for some reason. You know, so, I don't know. I just enjoy the time that I have alone. Not around a whole bunch of people. And, like, I do see other truck drivers out there, and I do talk to them. Um, but, I, and I enjoy talking to other people. But, um... I keep my religion to myself at work these days uh, because I've had too many um, people that find out about my beliefs and they um, I've lost jobs over it so many times. Like, they think I'm a fanatic or something, and maybe I am, but, I like, it's so stupid because, like, I do such a good job that they don't have any way to complain about me other than to bring up my religion. Like, currently, today, actually last week, my truck was broke down, and it was in the shop for, like, four hours, and it was on the first day that I came back. I love the truck. I'm doing my pre-trip, and the, the wiring's all screwed up, and they don't know why, because uh, the trailer lights won't work. So, um, it's in the truck, it's in the shop for four hours and I'm sitting in the office with the, the head, the head guys, you know, and, um, and the head safety guy from Salt Lake, he's down there in the uh, office, uh, closer to where I live. And he says, Hey, I'd really like to thank you for being such a good driver. And I said, what are you watching me or something? He says, well, you have scores on your, um, your e-log and it, it like tracks everything that you do and it, it scores everything and it's all it's even hooked up to a a camera that looks forward and backwards and um i was number four in the company like between two companies i was uh, i was the fourth driver from the first and the only reason I wasn't the first is because I go, I usually go between um, three to five miles an hour over the speed limit, unless I'm going through towns. I like, if I'm driving through Wellington and it's 40, I'm doing 40. If it's 45, I'll do 45. I, I go the speed limit through Duchesne. I, I go the speed limit unless I'm out in the country and then I'm like, okay, well, three to five over, and sometimes in Indian Canyon, I'll even go 10 over. Um, but I never go over 70. So um, in Indian Canyon is actually 60, and I, only go, I will go 68 in a couple spots. So because I speed a little bit, <laughs> um, I'm not number one. And if I would just go the speed limit and it doesn't matter if I go one mile an hour over the speed limit it knocks me on my points and I tried doing it but I'm like oh I can't because like every minute counts with this job and there's been times when I've gotten back into the to the shop uh, back to the yard and I've had like one minute left to spare on my logbook so I'm like nope <laughs> If I can make up any time, I'll, I'll speed if the conditions are right. Sometimes I'm like, like last week, I had to throw chains. Um, I put eight driver chains on my truck. 
Um, and then, so I'm driving through the snow. I finally take the chains off because I only really need the chains for going up the hill and not spinning out and getting stuck. And then when I'm going down the hill, I don't mind not using chains. I don't need them. I just drive slow. But um, so it was snowing, and there was some, a little bit of snow on the road. And but it was bare enough to where I was like, okay, this isn't so bad. So between Duchesne and Roosevelt, where the speed limit is 65, I was doing 60. And some guy was yelling at me about how I was going slow. And if I'm scared, I should go home. And I'm like, dude, I've been out here for 28 years with no accidents and no tickets because I know how to drive in this stuff. And he was like telling me about how dangerous it is for people to drive slow. And I was like, okay, I'll take your word for it. I just ignored him. And after that, he was yelling at me on the radio uh, to go faster. And I was like, I should slow down because I think I'm actually going a little bit too fast for the conditions, you know, but I swear some people are so ignorant. But um, I don't know. I'm the captain of my ship when I'm out there. And if I don't feel like going a certain speed just because somebody runs upon me, you know, there's all these young drivers out there and they think that they are um, super truckers and that nothing can ever happen to them and that they're so awesome that blah, blah, blah. And they drive, they drive, oh, the perfect truck. And, you know, that's another thing. And I know I'm going off on a tangent. I don't usually talk about this stuff, but like when I was driving belly dumps, I, I always drove a W900. Not one time did I drive anything other than a big hood, stretched out W900. Either a narrow nose or a wide nose, but it was always a W900. And I enjoy the W900. But now I'm in a Cascadia, I'm in a Freightliner, and people are like, oh, Freightliner, oh, only steering wheel. Like, there's this big macho thing, oh, uh, if you're not driving a Peterbilt or a Kenworth, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, these Cascadias, I drove a Freightliner Cascadia. It is the easiest truck I have ever driven in my life. And it is comfortable. It's comfortable to drive. It's comfortable to live in. It's it's nice. I really like it. And like a lot of people are like, oh, you're not driving this truck. You, you're not really a truck driver. And I'm like, dude, I've been driving for 28 years. I've, I've driven cab overs. Uh, I've driven um, like old Macs. Like I've driven old Kenworths and Peterbilts. I've driven Volvos. I've driven newer Volvos and older Volvos. I've driven a lot of different kinds of trucks, but you know what? Like, the frame is metal. There's a fifth wheel. Um, All the trucks have the same basic four or five engines in them. You know, um, they have the basic... basic, components like the transmission or like the drive the drive um the differentials on the back the the axles whatever like they're all made by the same companies there's like a couple of different ones that you can choose from 
but pretty much the cab is a, a Freightliner is different than the cab of a Peterbilt or the cab of a Kenworth. And my truck doesn't have any chrome on it. I could care less about chrome. Like, I don't really like not having the big hood in front of me. I like that nose out there um, for specific reasons. One of the reasons is because where I sit in the truck, um, my little nose where it says Kenworth, um, from the angle I sit, um, if I keep that um, from my, my point of view right on the white line, I'm usually right in the middle of my lane. And that helps me know, because the trucks are wide, so you're like, okay, well, I don't want to drive off to one side or the other. Like, I want to be able to drive down the center of the lane. And, and, like, driving a Peterbilt or a Kenworth with a big hood, like, it makes a difference. With the Freightliner, I can't even see my hood unless I uh, prop myself up. <sighs> Excuse me. But, um... But uh, the truck that I drive now is a 2019 Cascadia uh, Freightliner. Like, it's my favorite truck. I wish I could buy this truck. I love it so much. It is so easy to drive. Like, it's and it's comfortable, you know. But anyway, I, I really enjoy staying in it. Um, I wish that I could turn the motor off at night and have a... Uh, a vibrating motor all the time, but um, it's kind of cold out right now, and the bunk heater doesn't work, so I just have to keep the motor on so that um, so that I can keep the heater on and uh, not freeze to death. So, although sometimes I do turn it off when it's like in the the 50s, um, sometimes in the 40s, sometimes I wake up though when it's like in the 30s. And uh, it's freezing cold, and I have to turn the truck on and then go back under the cover so I can wait till it warms up. But I, I just, I've been a truck driver for all these years, and I really enjoy it. So, anyway, I know, like, talking about things that um, don't really matter, but this is Blog Talk Radio, and this is a blog, and uh, I don't know, I enjoy it, so... Anyway, I think we're going to leave it at that, and um, I will record another one later. Uh, Like I said, the next time I come back to this book will be in Chapter 9, starting on page 106, and the title of that chapter is Biblical Errors. So anyway, I hope everybody has um, a good one, and thank you for listening to this podcast. Um, please subscribe. Um, please click the little bell notification that's uh, and, and go up to all uh, if you like this content, especially on YouTube. And then we'll have it on iTunes under Zion's Redemption Radio Network and uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. So thank you for listening, everyone. Take care. God bless. And goodbye.